If you would, open your Bibles uh, with me to uh, Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Um, I, uh, I tried to get a hold of Eric this week and, uh, and see if, uh, if he heard my little announcement last week um, about give, giving me the tough section in Revelation, and uh, he never texted me back, so... <laughs> So Eric, if you're listening again, uh, I'm, uh, I mean it. I know where you live. Um, uh, but seriously, tonight is, is an easy uh, area of Scripture in Revelation because it's good news in the midst of bad news. It's good news in the midst of bad news. So let's pray uh, as we get started tonight. So Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come into your house to, to worship you, Lord. You are the God uh, of all creation. Lord, you know our frame. You know our thoughts. You know our intentions, Lord, before we even do them. And Lord, you know the day that we would come to know you. You know when we become your child. And you know, that you, you know the day that you sealed us with the Holy Spirit. The, the seal of promise, Lord, that seals us from, from uh, anything that can happen to us in this world. And Lord, as we come and we look at this section of Scripture, Lord, it, may it challenge us and may it encourage us tonight, Lord, as we see these two groups of people, Lord, that you have saved in the midst of all of this tragedy and judgment and, and uh, chaos, Lord. And so, Lord, as we come and we look at this, Lord, would you teach us this, this evening in a very special way? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So good news in the midst of bad news. Good news in the midst of bad news. I, I have a, a daughter that's 20 years old. She, uh, she's, uh, she's our oldest and um, uh, the first one kind of leaving the house, right? And uh, she is... Uh, off at Bible college. Uh, this is her first year. She's going to be coming back on the 29th of this month. And, and so she's been gone all this, this uh, school year. Uh, she left in, in uh, August, and I was able to take her to England. Uh, she's going to Bible college in, in York, England. And, um, and so she's, uh, she's loving life. She's, she's enjoying it. And, and uh, she would call us every once in a while. And, and we would call, uh, call her and, and catch up. And, and one day in the middle of last sem- the semester before, um, she, she calls and she says, Dad, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And I said, Oh, Lord. I said, well, give me the good news first. And she says, well, I found a young man. And I said, really? And I said, well, that's good news. And I said, what's his name? And she said, Isaac. And, and I, said, I said, oh, that sounds great. What do you, what do you like about him? And he's, he's a nice guy. And he's, he, he loves Jesus with all of his heart and, and all these things. And I said, well, uh, Olivia, like... What's the bad news? And she goes, um, well, Dad, the bad news is he's just like you. <laughs> Good news in the midst of bad news, right? It's always good. 
it's always a good day when you get good news, isn't it? It's always a good day when you get good news. Last week, we saw very bad news as we studied Revelation chapter 6. And if you weren't here last week, um, I would encourage you to read through uh, the the chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 6, because it is bad news. What did we see when, uh, last week? We saw the four horsemen come in, uh, riding onto the scene, right? We saw this white horse of deception. We saw this red horse of war. And we saw this black horse of famine. And then the pale horse of death comes riding in to take all that it could with him. We saw the six seals broken open as God's judgment uh, was unleashed upon the earth. Well, chapter 7 is very different from chapter 6 in that we're going to get some really good news in, in the midst of really bad news. You see, when the world is hit with the hardest, hit the hardest during this great tribulation, we will come, will, will come also the greatest uh, revival uh, in terms of salvation. As we study this chapter tonight together, there are three incredible discoveries that we will encounter. First, in the first three verses, we will see God brings a pause in the midst of his judgment. There's this pause, there's this, there's this moment, a lull before the storm, so to speak. And then secondly, in verses three through eight, God provides protection, protection for his covenant people. And then third, in, in the verses 9 through 17, there will be a great multitude of people, a population who will experience great salvation. You're saying there's going to be salvation in the midst of, uh, of the great tribulation? Well, hold on and we'll find out together. Good news in the midst of bad news. Look with me at Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. It's the last verse of of that, of that chapter. It says, great for, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? You see that question? Who is able to stand during the wrath of the Lamb? Well, that question is answered here in chapter 7. Chapter 7 introduces us to two groups of people who are able to stand during this great tribulation. The first group is a, a group of 144,000 Jews from the, the tribes of Israel. The second group is a, a great multitude. We don't know the amount, but it's a, a great multitude that cannot be numbered. These two very different groups of people both are able to stand during this very, very difficult time in the future. Now, I got some questions uh, as, uh, uh, this week as I, as I got done teaching last week. I got some questions from a few of you that I think are important to answer uh, tonight, to be able to give you some answers to some of the things that, that you guys brought to me this past week. One of the questions was, well, if the church is going to be raptured, 
before the tribulation, what about my relatives and my friends? Will there, will there be an opportunity to hear the gospel? Will there be an, a, 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 will they have an, a, 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 the ability to respond to the gospel once the church is raptured? Does that mean that the, the door of opportunity is closed to people uh, to be saved during the, the tribulation period of time? And the answer to that question is absolutely no. God's spirit will still be moving in incredible ways on the earth. And this chapter that we're going to look at tonight clears that up for us. We're going to see those answers. The other question that I think that many of us are ask, ask ourselves is, how will it be possible for people to be saved in the tribulation if indeed the church has been raptured out of here? How will they have the opportunity? How will they know if no one's there to preach to them, how will they hear it and know the truth? Well, I'm glad you asked because there will be uh, many, uh, there may be a few different sources that will bring that truth to them in that time. In fact, number one, there will be two witnesses Two witnesses that are introduced to us in Revelation chapter 11. Some scholars uh, have guessed to the identity of these two witnesses, but we don't know. Some say Elijah and Elijah. Some say that it's other people, uh, but we have no idea who these witnesses are. And it's really not that important. What's important is that we understand what these two witnesses come to do. And where they will be. These two witnesses will come to Israel. They will come to the city of Jerusalem. Not only do they have a message to share, but they will be able to do miraculous signs and wonders sent by God. They will get the world's attention. And everyone in the world will be listening to these two witnesses, the Bible says. Some have asked over the years, well, how will they, how will this happen? How will the whole world will be, how will the whole world be watching all at one time? Well, uh, let me tell you, satellite TV, right? <laughs> but up to like 30 years ago, satellite TV wasn't, wasn't possible. This wasn't a reality, but now it is. All at one time, all across the world, uh, people, the whole world watching as, as something goes down in Israel. So it's interesting. So there will be two witnesses in Jerusalem doing miraculous works. That's number one. Number two, there there's going to be 144,000 Jewish uh, evangelists unleashed on the earth, which, will, which we will see as we study this chapter tonight. And then the third is there will be an angel. This, is, this angel is pretty incredible. He's going to be flying through the atmosphere in, uh, uh, throughout the earth and around the earth preaching the gospel. So all that the church has tried to accomplish in, in the last 2,000 years, the angel will do in a short period of time. In fact, listen to what it says in Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. 
Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, the streams of water. So God's everlasting gospel will be preached at the most unexpected time, Good news in the midst of bad news. So, with those things in mind, let's, let's begin tonight in, in verse 1 of chapter 7. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having a seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth in the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees, Till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. As we just read, these four angels have been empowered by God to cause great harm on the earth. In my study in Revelation, uh, as I've been reading through this, these I've understood that these angels somehow are associated with the forces of nature, with with wind in Revelation chapter 7 here, uh, with fire in Revelation chapter 14, and then with water in Revelation chapter 16. So God has given this power over nature to these angels. Yet another angel comes in on the scene and says, wait, wait. Don't harm anything. Stop. Before you do anything, wait. So we see this pause in the middle of, uh, of these judgments. We see this pause that God brings. It's the calm before the storm, don't we? And God in his infinite power calms the wind throughout the whole world. This is going to be another pattern that we see in Revelation in the book of Revelation. Remember last week when I pointed out the, the pattern uh, of, of the judgments? We Remember, we, we were looking at seven, and then seven, and then seven. I said there was seven seals on the scroll, each representing a judgment. We studied the first six seals last week, and we're going to see the seventh seal next week as, we, as it's opened up. But as that seventh seal is opened up, it will usher in seven more judgments. And those are called the trumpet judgments, where trumpets are blown making announcements to the world. And then the seventh, when the seventh trumpet, when it is blown, then it will it usher in a final set of seven judgments called the bowl judgments. It's as if the, the wrath of God is being poured out as a bowl onto the earth, and then it will be done. It will be over. Then Jesus will return. Then Satan 
will be bound and then the kingdom of God will be established. Yet there's another pattern that I, I, I want you to see in the midst of these judgments. We see these massive judgments from God, right? From God, from, from his hand allowing these judgments to come. But in the middle of those judgments, we see these, this parenthetical pause. This moment when God says, okay, I'm going to bring mercy right now and I want, to, I want salvation to come. God is always about his people. His desire is for all to know him. We have, we have really bad news that we studied last week, but then we have really good news this week. And we will see this pattern happen again and again in, in this book. We see, in God's judge, we see God's judgments in, in Revelation 8 and 9. And then we see this parenthetical pause, again, of these judgments in chapters 10 and 11. So again, God's mercy in the, on display for us in the midst of the judgment that God is bringing upon the earth. So to sum it all up, the, the tribulation period will be a period of divine reckoning. A divine, divine reckoning where God shows that he is supreme over nature and over nations. It also is a time of demonic activity, demonic uh, troublemaking that Satan will bring upon the earth. Satan will take advantage of the pandemonium and the, and the chaos that's happening on the earth and he will do what he can and he will be very active in, in bringing whatever he can bring to the table. It's also a time uh, of spiritual awakening where God will awaken the hearts of those that are left on this earth where we will see many people come to know Christ in the midst uh, of what's happening. So just as there are a few moments before uh, a thunderstorm, that still moment, that, that quiet moment, God will quiet the winds for a short while before his judgment is delivered to a Christ-rejecting world. You see, this is the heart of God. The heart of God is to save not the, the, it's not God's heart to judge first. I want you to understand that. God's heart has always been a heart to save. Yes, will he be just? Yes. Will he bring justice? Yes. But in the midst of all of that, his heart is to save. His heart is to, to see all them all come to know him. In fact, uh, Peter said this in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but, uh, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God's merciful heart is to reach out to the people, even at the worst of times. He desires that all would come to know him. That's his mercy. That's his long-suffering. That's that's, that all would be saved, that all would come to know him in a personal way. Now, how do we know that these will, will be saved? 
um, in, this, in this chapter. How do we know that these will be saved? Because they are, they are sealed. They're sealed, right? Sealed, sh- sealed shows us ownership and protection. It shows us ownership and protection. Look at verse uh, 4 with me. I heard the number of those who were sealed... 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Reuben, and of Gad, and of Asher, and of Naphtali, and Manasseh, and Simeon, and Levi, and Issachar, and Zebulun, and Joseph, and Benjamin, 12,000 from each of these tribes uh, of Israel were sealed, 144,000 of them, sealed with a, a seal on their forehead. That a seal, and now we, we learned this last week, the seal, uh, what I'm talking about, is the seal that you would put on a document. It's a wax seal that something you would take and you would, you would take a signet ring and you would seal, uh, seal that, that document and to show ownership. I am the one that sent this, this document to this person and it put, I put my seal on there. God is saying to these 144,000, you are sealed, you are mine. You, I, I own your, your mind and you are my children. And I seal you with my, my mark. And it also shows protection. Because when it's sealed, you're also protected. There's nothing that can take them away. The tribulation might hurt them. They might feel pain. But at the end of that time... God will have protected them and they will be with him forever. So, incredible understanding. These 144,000, this is the group that's numbered, that's sealed. Uh, uh, these are Jews. These are 144,000 Jews from the tribe, tribes of Israel. So, I find it sort of interesting that some uh, some groups of people out there running around today in society uh, love to identify themselves with the 144,000, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? You ask them, who are the 144,000? And they say, we are the 144,000. For example, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, they say, we're this 144,000 thousand chosen people of God, but now they've changed their story because now they have more than 144,000 people, and now they have to, now they're wondering, what, what do we do? Because they've exceeded the number. The Seventh-day Adventists say that they're uh, the 144,000, the faithful ones who will take, who are taken into glory, who have kept the Jewish Sabbath. So they say that they're a part of the 144,000. The worldwide church of God is, says that they're a part of the 144,000, that they are, they are that. But we see whenever, whenever anyone says, I'm a, a member of the 144,000, you should uh, kind of 
be concerned a little bit and in turn ask them this question. What tribe are you from? Because they have to be Jewish and they have to be from one of these tribes. It's very clear in scripture. We just read it that these have to be from one of these tribes. And so that's the question we need to ask them. What tribe are you from? You see, church, these are not, these that are spoken of here in, in, in Revelation 7, these aren't Jehovah's Witnesses. These aren't Seventh-day Adventists. These are Jews that are saved during the tribulation period. Let me say this. Um, you don't really want to be a part of this 144,000. <laughs> right? I don't ever want to be numbered in this 144,000. That is not a good day for me, okay? And it's probably not going to be a good day for you if you find that you're a part of that group because then, one, you would find out that you're in the tribulation. <laughs> and you don't really want that. And then the good news is that you're a Jew. <laughs> you would find out that you're a Jew. But, but here's the thing. All these groups, they, they say that they're a part of this, they're, they're one of these 144,000, and it's not true. You see, at this point, the church has already been raptured from the, from, from the earth. John and, his, and the 24 elders see this scene in heaven. They see this scene in heaven, and unfortunately, many people like to spiritualize this section of scriptural, scripture. Scripture. And they like to say that, well, the church is Israel. And Israel is the church. And so we can read ourselves in there, and we're all a part of this. And, and what's sad is they spiritualize this section of Scripture, and they take it out of context. And it's not what it's really saying. So it's not true. And we can't, read, we can't, uh, we can't put ourselves into that, that group. These are Jews. It's very clear. I don't know, I mean, how much more clear we can have it that it says you have to be a part of 12,000 from each tribe. And then the second group that we're going to look at in just a second, the second group is not Jews. So we have these Jews, a group of Jews, 144,000. And then we have a group of the rest the Gentiles, us, those that aren't Jewish, that are, that are uh, uh, saved upon the earth. So we see these two distinct groups in this section. So to me, this is 144,000 Messianic Jews on fire for Jesus during this great tribulation going to preach the gospel. Now, if you've ever met a Messianic Jew... They're some of the greatest evangelists because when a Jew gets saved, oh man, watch out. It is, it is on, they are on fire uh, when that happens. Let's read on in verse nine. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which, which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, 
with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see a population of salvation. A multitude of people saved from all over the world, right? Every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. These are the ones who have been saved by the message of the 144,000 as well as the two witnesses and the angel that's flying around. This is the multitude that's coming to Jesus. In this terrible time, we have good news to see God is still winning souls. God is still on the move. These are the last fruits of God's great outpouring during the tribulation. People from every tribe, nation, people, language. God always has his remnant among every people. And he will, one day, every nation, every tribe will be, will be represented before before the throne. It's a beautiful day. I look forward to that day. You know, my heart has always been for missions. Um, my heart has always been for those that don't know Jesus, never had a chance, never, have never had the word of God in their language, and they don't know the truth like we do. They don't have this. They can't understand grace. They don't understand love. They don't understand truth and forgiveness. They don't understand those things. They don't understand the grace of God and how Jesus came and died on the cross and paid my price, and, and I... And there's, there's, there's people around the world that have no clue of that truth. And he gives us a mandate to go and make disciples of all the nations. You see, God's heart is for all to know him. For all to know him. The lamb that was slain came to redeem people from all over the world. This shows that although the Jewish evangelists will be proclaiming Jesus primarily to the Jews, this 144,000, there will be a multitude of Gentiles who hear and believe and come to Christ. But the price that they will pay during the great tribulation will be sacrifice of life. there will be a great cost for their salvation, for them to come to know Jesus. Good news. Also, the, the verse ends by saying there, are, there were robes, they were robed in white and carrying palm branches, right? And I believe that's a reference to uh, the martyrs mentioned in chapter six, celebrating around the throne of God. And how do we know this? Because they're both robed in white, given to, given to those that were sacrificed, that, that gave up their life, that sacrificed their life for Christ. So we see that and we, we understand that uh, because they're in heaven and they're, they're before the throne also. Also, look at verse 10 again with me. Look at what, what it's saying, what they're saying. 
and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation has come to their hearts and to those that are standing around the throne. They've gone from death to life. Again, God is long-suffering. He is patient. Desiring that all would know and come to the knowledge of him. But there will come a day that he will not wait any longer. And that day is coming. Jesus, has, when he was leaving the earth, he gave us a mandate in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, didn't he? He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Church, we need to be busy accomplishing God's work. We need to be busy uh, uh, sharing the truth that has set us free. The reality of of the gospel that, that sits inside our hearts that we thank God for and we worship him for in this room, yet sometimes it doesn't get out from here to anyone else. And we've got to be good and true to the, to the gospel to get it out to those that, are, that, that need it. Why is it so hard to preach the gospel? Why is it so hard to, to share the gospel when it's such good news? A challenge for us all to share with those around us, to be active in the gospel to be uh, sharing it uh, wherever we go. Look at verse 11. And the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? And I said to them, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, washing their uh, robes and making them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he will sit on the throne and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them they shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more the su- the sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes now, there's a lot in these verses, but let me, uh, let me point out just a few things. Don't you find it interesting that blood is a cleansing agent in, in heaven? We would never think to, to use blood to clean anything here on earth, right? In fact, uh, it stains you, 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 you cut yourself and you get blood on something and, and it's hard to get out. But in heaven, blood cleanses. It cleans the the robes and makes it white. 
I don't understand that, but when we get to heaven, we'll get it. We'll understand it. You'll be like, oh, that's cool. Like, go get the blood. You know, we got to clean this up. You know, it, it, it's a cleansing agent in heaven. Also, in verse 13, the elder asked the question, who are these arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? Now, John answers back, I don't know. You know. Tell me. And the elder answers, right? And he says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So, so it's telling us right there, these aren't some group of people that are going to get saved now or whenever. This is the group that's getting saved during the great tribulation. And they're washed, they're, their robes are washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, the, in other words these are the saved People from the tribulation, from every nation and tribe, and every language. You see, God is patient. These barely made it in. Barely. Because the judgment's coming, like right around the corner. Yet these guys squeaked right in. And God is so grateful, and he's rejoicing because of it. And they're around the throne, and he's like, oh, come in. And look, I mean, I mean, look at these verses. It's so awesome. He says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they're washed, and they're robed. And then he says, then he says they're before the, before the throne, and serve, with, serve him day and night in the temple. And he's, he sits on the throne, and he who sits on the throne in verse 15 will dwell among them. Now, that's, think that, I think that's cool. He, he's sitting on the throne, right? Get this. He's sitting on the throne and he's dwelling among them. That's cool. I'm like, I want to experience that. God dwelling among me as he sits on the throne. He's here and he's there. You can feel he's, he's with us. He's dwelling among us. He, he's saying all these things. He's dwelling among these that just squeaked in. Just got in, kind of came in through the back door, right? And God's saying, awesome, let's celebrate. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more, you're not going to be scorched anymore. The lamb who is in the midst of the throne will, is going to shepherd them. He's going to take them in. He's going to shepherd, shepherd them. I don't know what that's going to look like. He leads them. This, the lamb of God now becomes the shepherd and he, he leads them to these living waters, these fountains of living waters. This reminds me of the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 15 where he says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them and does not, and, and does not leave the 99 in the wilderness to go after the one which is lost until he finds it, and when he, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. 
Isn't this what we see in this chapter? What an incredible picture of what we've just been studying. These come in, they've been lost, and they're the last ones. They're the lost and the last. And they're coming in, and God says, come in, and I'm rejoicing. It's like the moment uh, of the prodigal son when the son comes home, and the other son's been there the whole time, and he says, Dad, why does he get the party? Why does he get the, the fatted calf? He says, let's put it, bring out the robe and the fatted calf. Let's, let's, let's throw the party because my son is home. You see, God doesn't care if you're first or if you're last. He just says, you're mine. You're mine. Tonight, this is good news. Tonight, this is good news. As God dwells among us, as the Holy Spirit has sealed us, as he lives inside us, may we just be rejoicing. You know, the worship at the beginning of tonight was really special. And it was just Billy. You know why? Because it's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was here. And he's moving and amongst us. So the challenge for us tonight is this. As we look at this chapter and we see this beautiful good news, we can't keep the good news to ourselves, guys. Church, we've got to be, we've got to be present. How will they know if we don't go and share the gospel with them? Yes, one day that angel will fly. We know that. But until then, he wants you and I to be a part of his work. He's calling you and I to be faithful, to take the gospel, to share it, to be a part of that. So good news in the midst of bad news tonight. Good news in the midst of bad news. As we close and prepare for communion, I have some good news We live in the age of grace. It's an awesome time, an awesome age that we live in. It's the age of opportunity for anyone at any time to say yes to Jesus. And Jesus says, come on in. You're mine. If you're here tonight and you're waiting, why are you waiting? He says, come, come and I will restore. Don't wait. Some of you have walked away from Jesus and you're here tonight and you're hearing this message and you know that you're far from Jesus right now. And you need to know that Jesus is calling you back. He says, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. Jesus is waiting, but there will come a day where he will not wait anymore. So just come. Jesus says, come to me, and I'll forgive you. He says, I'll come in and I'll restore your life. You know those broken areas in your life? I will rebuild those if you let me have access to it. He says, 
All you got to do is surrender. Give your life to me. Understand what Jesus did for you. Take the yoke, the, the burden that you're carrying off of you and lay it at the feet of Jesus and trust him with your life. And when you do, oh, just like the celebration we've read today, there will be a celebration for you. Because he waits. He waits for you to come. He waits for you to come to his throne and come in relationship with the true and living God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin so that you could be set free, that he could take on that payment. You can't pay for your sin. Only Jesus can pay for your sin. So let him pay for it and come. Father God, we pray. That's what we can do. We can pray. <laughs> we can preach. We can pray. We can hope, Lord. And we can watch you move. And so, Lord, I ask you to move right now. And Lord, right now, I know, I know through the, the, through the discernment of your spirit, Lord, I know that there are some here today that, that need to come back home to you. And if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand right now. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. I see those hands. Anybody else? It's time to come back. Amen. You can put your hands down. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I've tried things on my own. They haven't worked. And Jesus, I'm sorry. I surrender my life to you today. I ask you to empower me with your Holy Spirit. I believe in Jesus, in the sacrifice that he was for me. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my heart, Lord, and make me new. I come back to you today. It's time for me to come home. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. And Lord, as we looked at this good news in the midst of bad news, Lord, we thank you for your good news, how you love us, how you have a plan for us. And Lord, as we take communion tonight, and as we look to your cross and we look to the sacrifice of Jesus, Lord, may we rejoice in, in, the, in the cup today. May we rejoice in the, the broken body of, of Christ today that we may remember his goodness and his grace in our lives from this day forward. Lord, come, come quickly. 
Lord, we desire for you to come and, and take us home. But until then, Lord, we look to you and we will preach your name to all the nations as we, as we take your commandment to go seriously. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.